We are thankful for each one of you with us this morning. We are looking at our second lesson from the book of Philippians. And this morning I want to show what we can learn about humility from Christ's example, as is pointed out by the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 2, that's what primarily we find here is the idea of humble service. And then we also find in the following verses after that, a reminder about why we should humbly serve God because we are to be a light for the world. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, we have our example of humility. And we find in verses 5 and following, we find, I really divide this up into two points. Uh, we find his pain, that is the reference to the pain that Christ endured. And then we also find his gain. And so that's the two points we'll be looking at as we look at our example of humility this morning. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning there in verse 5, as Brother Chris read just a moment ago, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is how we begin this section. But we find this is introduction to 4. He begins to talk about all the things that Christ has done as an example of service. And he tells us here in verse 5, he says, Let this mind, which is going to be discussed here following, he says, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so the mind that we are to have is the same mindset which Christ had. Now, we know that Christ was the Son of God. We know he had God with him, that God had given him uh, power on earth to do basically whatever he wanted to do. It came to miracles and those types of things. But whenever he taught and preached those types of things, they were always with God. They were always God's words. They were his will that he was teaching and preaching. It was God's command being delivered by Christ. And so he was, without a doubt, a servant when he came to the earth. The Bible tells us he came in the form of a lowly birth. He came to the earth. He was immediately despised by man. And he, him and his mother and earthly, earthly mother and earthly father had to flee until a time which they could return. And then in the process of time, about the age of 30, Christ begins his earthly ministry for the Lord. Now, we begin in verse 5 here. He says that this is the type of mind which we are to have, and this mind which we're going to see is very clearly that of a servant, one who humbles himself and serves God. We begin in verse 6 with looking at his pain. In verse 6, the Bible says, who, again, this is a reference to Christ, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Christ did not feel robbed to be called an equal with God. When we talk about the Godhead, we talk about God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit, right? We see God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, those types of things referring to the Godhead. We talk about sometimes that being the the, the, uh, you know, the, the three parts of the Godhead. And we find here that he says in verse 6, he says, Who being in the form of God, now notice, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. I can't help but think about how many athletes I see get on television and whine and complain about their various problems on their team. I see, I watch men and women get on there at various times in various sports complain about their playing time. They complain about their wage. They complain about not making as much as this person or this person making too much. And on and on it goes. You hardly ever get on there and find anyone who talks about how 
They're all working together for the same goal. They all are trying to do what? Trying to accomplish certain things. You never hear them talk about them all being equal. They're all having one, you know, equal pay and being treated all the same way and everyone trying to be equal all across the board. You don't hear about those types of things. We hear about our individuals trying to elevate themselves above another person, even on their own team. But here Christ says in verse 6, the Bible tells us here, Apostle Paul says that Christ did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't come to earth and start complaining that all he, has to, that he has to do what God tells him to do and nothing else. You don't hear about him complaining about that. No, instead what you hear Christ getting upset about is mankind's rebellion to God in the first place. And you hear Christ teaching and preaching God's Word to bring men back to God. You don't hear Christ complaining about being equal with God there in verse 6. Christ came from heaven to earth to serve. He did so willingly, and He served God obediently. He served the Father obediently while on the earth. Notice next, we continue looking at the things, we think about His pain. This really isn't His pain, but He did come to the earth, right? He was equal with God. Many times I looked at this as being a painful thing to think about, being equal with someone else. You've got to be better than everybody else, right? That's not what we find here. Equal with God. Verse 7. But made himself, now this is the first part of verse 7, made himself of no reputation. It is said today there are those people today in, in the brotherhood as well who try so hard to make a name for themselves. It doesn't matter who does or does not know who you are. Who cares? Christ didn't. He did not come to try to build himself a great reputation. He came and preached to preach and teach. And whoever followed him, that was outstanding. Whoever doesn't, he tried to do what? Teach them God's word. It wasn't about building reputation. It was about getting people to heaven. Look at John chapter 17, looking at verse 5. He says, and now, this again, Christ speaking, he says, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I, ha- which I had with you before the world was. Glorify me together with yourself. And as a humble request, what? To glorify him. He says, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He wasn't asking for more glory, was he? He says, of the same glory which he had before the world was. also tells us there, Christ was in the beginning before everything ever existed. Just as John 1 does as well. But he made himself of no reputation. He didn't seek additional glory. He didn't seek additional promotion. He made himself of no reputation. He gave up the environment of heaven, that is glory, to come to earth. We look at the next section here at verse 7. The Bible tells us, taking the form of a bond servant. He took the form of a bondservant. A bondservant is someone who is bound to serve someone. Well, Christ was bound to serve, you could say, mankind. But most definitely, he was bound to serve God, wasn't he? He was going to do all the things God wanted him to do. He was going to teach and preach only what God wanted him to teach and preach. He was going to serve in every way possible. He washed literally the feet of men. He died on the cross while being mocked by those whom whom he was trying to save himself. He was scourged by those same people who he was trying to reach. He was a bond servant. Looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and looking at verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that's talking about being in heaven, right? For your sake he became poor, that is, he came to the earth, that you through his poverty might become rich. 
that what that we can go and be where he was, that where he is, there we might be also, as the Bible also tells us, right? <coughs> and so we know the grace, excuse me, <coughs> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Why? For us. He became poor for mankind. Everything he did, he did for us. He continues to do for us. The Bible tells us he's also preparing a place for us that where he is, there we might be also, right? Talking about preparing a place called heaven that where this life is over, after the judgment, we can be with Christ in that place. He came to earth. Now, I can't even begin to imagine the Bible tries to put in, or I shouldn't say try, it puts into he describes heaven in ways in which we can try to understand how beautiful it is. We understand heaven is a spiritual place, but it's also described as a place that has streets of gold, you know, a sea of crystal, you know, a clear, uh, clear uh, crystal glass. That means it was still. There's no if, it's, if water is still, it means there's no what? There's no disturbance, right? It's calm, and that's another way to describe the calmness of heaven, right? He, he talks about all those types of things to, to help us understand how beautiful and how wonderful a place like heaven, heaven is. Because that's where he wants us to be. That's when we will become rich, when we join Christ in heaven. We also find in the latter part of verse 7 that he, made, he was made in the likeness of men. That is, he came to earth as a man. You think about some of the pictures you've seen over the years where Christ is painted and he has like a, kind of like a halo. You know when Christ came to earth, he didn't have a halo. He didn't look like some of these other men. Sometimes you see these pictures painted of him. People forget that he was actually from the Middle East, right? <laughs> and he wasn't with the halo. He wasn't Caucasian. He didn't have the flowing hair. He didn't look like a model like some people painted him today. He was a man who came in the likeness, a person who came in the likeness of men. As Isaiah says, he has no form or comeliness. Isaiah 53, that when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Again from Isaiah 53, meaning when you looked at Christ, it wasn't his looks that made you want to follow him. It was what he said and what he did. And we find the same idea here in verse 7. He coming in the likeness of men, he came in the form of a person, of mankind. He had become man by remaining part of the Godhead. We also find next in verse 8 that Christ humbled himself to be the perfect and only acceptable sacrifice for man. Looking at verse 8 of Philippians 2, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so we find here what did Christ do? He died for mankind. And notice here the latter part of verse 8, notice what it says, even the death of the cross. One of the most feared ways to be put to death was to be put to death on the cross because it wasn't something quick. Men could be hanged in, in the old you know, times of the Bible. They could be hanged. They could be beheaded. They could be drawn behind horses. But crucifixion was considered the most gruesome. When they tell Pilate well, they, that they want Christ to be crucified, what does he say? Why? What evil has he done? And many historians believe it's because crucifixion was such a terrible thing to do to the person. Because it wasn't just killing, it was torture that led to eventual death. It wasn't just a simple or a quick death. And so he, he humbled himself and he did what? He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The death on the cross was designed to be a shameful one. 
And we know that Christ did not deserve such a death, but he went to that cross for us anyway. Those are things that make us consider the pain that Christ endured, make himself of no reputation. He, became, he came in the form of a bondservant. He came in the likeness of men. He humbled himself and he died on the cross for mankind. Why? That there might be gain for us today. There, there might be gain. We think about Philippians chapter 2, looking at verse 9, the first part of verse 9. He says, therefore God also has highly exalted him. Now we're changing, right? It was, he endured all these things, and now we change. It goes from the pain to the gain. God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Now, if you look at the original text or the Greek text of the New Testament, it, the phrase, name which is above every name, would actually be rendered not the name above, above all names, but merely he would be given the name, not a name. The means he'd be given the most important name that would ever be uttered, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, that is the name he'd be given. Therefore, he is high exalted and given the name which is above every name. Some translations use the idea of uh, a name above the name, uh, not, they use the idea of a name, not the name, but the New King James here does say the name, above all names. So his name would stand out above all other names. We look next at verses 10 and 11. We find here the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, Christ, Jesus, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it's not a matter of... Will all men ultimately confess the name of Christ? But it's a matter of when all men confess the name of Christ. You notice there he mentions those in heaven. He mentions those on the earth, that is those who are still living. And those under the earth, that is those who are dead. That means literally every single being will bow the knee to Christ. Not if, but when. He says that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, that name that's above every name. And at his name, the Bible says, every knee will bow. We think about the, the pain and the gains that Christ endured coming to the earth. We think about how beautiful heaven must have been as much as we can possibly try to imagine it. You think about the most beautiful place you've ever been. You, you know, you multiply that a thousand times, and we're still not even close. We think about the most pristine place you've ever visited, still not even close. You know, it's interesting to think about Earth and people still, you know, people visit all these fabulous places that God that God created for mankind to enjoy. You find all these different islands. You find these different mountains, these different places in the forest, and people just go on and on about how beautiful they are. That God created for all mankind. But who did God create heaven for? Was it for all mankind? Or was it for a specific group of people? It's for a specific group of people. Now, if God created a place for all mankind, what must the place be like that he, that he designed and has created for us and prepared for us to dwell in for just the faithful a place that is just for the faithful. Think something better than this earth. Do you think this earth is the best that God can do? 
You remember when, when you look at Genesis chapter 1, how did God create the earth? He just spoke. He just spoke. Do you think God put forth any more effort than that when it came to the heavenly home, which we're going to be dwelling in, the place in which we're going to be living in? We can't even begin to imagine how wonderful that place is. We understand it is a place that is spiritual in nature. That doesn't change anything, though, does it? Does it make it any less beautiful, any less peaceable, any less enjoyable? Does it make it a place that we want to go to any less? It's a place that we find, the book of Revelation says, where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow. Every tear we wash away, for the former things have passed away, means those things we deal with on this earth, they're long gone. But the place that's prepared for the wicked is quite different, isn't it? It's a place that is designed to God, by God to torment and to punish those who refuse to obey Him. Now we know that both places are eternal. The question becomes, though, which place do we want to go? Well, as we think about these things, we think about some lessons for us today. We think about how Christ is the standard of humility. He is the standard by which we measure up. We don't compare ourselves to men, which sometimes we get caught up in doing. But we look at what Christ is doing. Because mankind sometimes gets caught up in trying to make a name for themselves. And we notice here, we go back here to verse 7. The Bible says he made himself with no reputation, which means making a name for himself. That wasn't what Christ did. Shall we become popular and well-known? No. When people came to Christ, now we recognize, was Christ well-known? Yes. Why? Because of what he did and what he said, not because of, he was trying to make himself of reputation. But people naturally were drawn to him. Christ is the standard of humility. We must follow Christ's example. We sacrifice all for God like Christ did. We lay aside things which we think are so important that get in the way of God. We put those things away. If something gets between us and God, we have to put it away, don't we? We think about our daily lives and things that, we, that prevent us from reading our Bibles like we should, from studying like we should, from, from trying to learn all we can about God like we should, and trying to be a better person each and every day, trying to work on things in our lives which need improvement. That's what we should be doing. When things get in the way of those types of things, what should we do? We push them aside. I'm not saying we push aside family time. I'm not saying we push aside time with our friends, but we do what? We make sure that God is the center of our world because He is the center of our world. We would not be here if it wasn't for Him. We serve God while enduring the difficulties brought on by our enemies like Christ did. Christ was hated from the moment He came to the earth. You think about this. How long did it take for, for God to begin to, begin to feel like people did not like him or did not like what he was trying to do? The fall of man, right? It took Adam and Eve in the garden. They didn't make it out of the garden before God realized there were going to be problems. That mankind was going to rebel at certain times, definitely on certain things, right? And what happened? The Bible tells us that God did what? He put in place a plan for us. The Bible tells us before the world ever began in which we can have heaven as our home in which we can overcome sin, gain heaven, and lose the threat of hell. And it's through our obedience, our, obedience, our obedience to the Word of God, our obedience today 
to that New Testament gospel. Christ is the standard of humility. Man will be rewarded. It is nice to be rewarded for things, isn't it? You have a certain tournament and you get rewarded. Maybe I'm hearing your coach is saying you've done a good job today. Maybe you get a little ribbon. Maybe you get a little trophy, whatever it is. But it's nice to get a reward, even if it's a small one sometimes. It doesn't matter. It's still nice to have a reward to show that someone approves and is thankful for whatever it is you have done or accomplished. In life, much emphasis is placed upon payments for services rendered. We expect something in return. You know, in all reality, God deserves our very best, even if all we had to look forward to was heaven. Even if we don't have the various blessings that God gives us in this life, well, there are blessings which God gives us in this life, but if all there was was, was the hope of heaven at the end, wouldn't it still be worth it to get to heaven? If God didn't bless us in this life, again, He does. But if He didn't, would it still be worth it to get to heaven? Yes. Because what's waiting at the end is worth all the work that goes in between, right? We labor because we, we don't want to end up in a place we know as hell. We want to go to a place that's designed for the faithful. No one pays better than the Lord. You think about Job, after all the things he endured, all those hardships he endured, after remember, he lost his children, he lost his livelihood, he endured physical uh, health problems for some say at least six months, possibly more. But when it was all over with, remember the phrase you find in Job 42? The Bible says that God did what? He blessed him more in the end, or he was more blessed in the end than he was in the beginning, right? Which means that God blessed him more and everything is over with, right? The Bible tells us that he had more children, he had more livestock. I remember he had double the livestock. And he had children that the Bible says, it mentions specifically his daughters and how beautiful they were. Just showing the detail in which God went to to bless Job and his family. Because Job, though he struggled, he did not depart from God. No one pays better than the Lord. Looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul says it this way, Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now notice a reward is waiting for who? He says for, for me, that is the Apostle Paul. He says, and not for me only, he says, but all those who have loved his appearing. That is a reference to Christ. That is, all those who have loved Christ, that's, without a doubt, talking about those who have obeyed him, you continue to do so, right? Because you love someone, you don't just love them for a few moments, you love them for the rest of the time. But also to all those who have loved his appearing. No one pays better than the Lord. Look what he says he receives in verse 8. He says, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Is there anyone else who, to, who could give out that crown that would be better than Christ? No. What better person, the Son of God, who would be the one he is pictured here as giving out that crown of righteousness because we have remained faithful to him? What does the world give us today when we are loyal to the world? About five minutes of pleasure, five minutes of praise, right? So let's be honest, five minutes later, don't be offended with you for something. The only time Christ is offended by us 
is when we depart from him and go back into that world that has nothing to offer us. Christ gives us, you think about it, Christ gives us no reason to look at the world and say, I want that, because the world really, in comparison, has nothing to offer. Nothing of true and lasting substance. As we close this morning, a humble life of dedicated service is what God wants from us. A humble life of dedicated service is what God wants from us. And let's be honest, a humble life of dedicated service is what God deserves from us. He deserves for us to put our faith in Him and to continue following Him each and every day. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall short, but because our God is a great and awesome God, 1 John 1 verse 9 tells us we can confess our sins to Him. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because He is our great and awesome God who wants us to get to heaven. I think sometimes if we're not careful, we, we get wrapped up in the idea that living a Christian life is so hard that we forget how much that God wants us to succeed, how much God wants us to get to heaven. He hasn't made it difficult. Mankind and sin and temptations and peer pressure is what makes it difficult. God is rooting for us to follow Him all the way through this. When this life is over, we get to be with Him. Because that's where He wants us to be in the first place. In the very beginning of time, that's where God wants us to be. We think about what Christ has done for us and all His humble service. We too can offer up humble service to God.